0: Well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church. My name is Chris Colquitt. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's a delight to be with you this holiday weekend. We are finishing up in a way our first part of our Genesis series. We are at the in Genesis chapter eleven. We're going to take a break next week for Advent and start looking at John chapter one, which is going to be exciting, and then we'll pick back up with the story of Abraham in Genesis twelve in January. With that, let's turn our attention to the scriptures, to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the story of Babel. It's printed there for you in your bulletins. You're welcome to get your Bible out as well. You'll forgive me, I'm at the tail end of a cold, so I may sniffle a few times. This is God's word. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had a brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for gathering us this morning in your name and by your will, by your appointment for each of us, Lord. And as we come to you with full uh, bellies and minds and thoughts, we pray that you would focus our attention on you and your word. Lord, we rejoice that you have come down to us to reveal yourself to us. We couldn't know you if you hadn't, and we pray that you would help us now to attend to your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. He who breathed out these words through Moses, Lord, would you be among us. Speak through me clearly and boldly and speak in our hearts that we might see and treasure Christ, that all who seek you may rejoice and be glad. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Genesis 1 through 11 has been something of an origin story for us as people. What does it look like for us to exist in this world? What has happened? Why are we the way we are? Genesis 1 to 11 looks at this deep history of man and helps us through story to understand the answer. What went wrong what started right this was important for the people of israel as they were coming out of egypt and into the promised land the original audience of moses's words here and it's important for us in the 21st century as we try to make sense of ourselves and our lives in this world what we've seen is that we were created by a good and powerful god that was the first sermon in this series there is a good and powerful god who made you And he created us for a task, something to do. He employed us, and he called us to do that together with one another and in relationship with him unto a promised rest and reward. That was the beginning. But as we have seen, we are treasonous. We have rejected God. We chose to worship and serve creature rather than creator. And as a result, we were subjected to the curses and consequences of our sin. But God has preserved life. He didn't end things entirely, but he made a promise to raise up a redeemer who would come and restore and rescue a people for himself. And this begins the drama of everything after Genesis 3, and that's what we've been looking at the past few weeks We see that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, that this is not our final home, but we also see that God is at work. There's evil and error around us, but there's also a way of the Lord that we are called to follow. We're making sense of this world that we find ourselves in. This last story that we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 11 fills in one final piece that's very important for us and especially important for us today, which is for us to understand the origin story of false religion. That's what I want to suggest the Tower of Babel account is. It's the origin story of man's futile attempts to relate to God on our own. It explains to us a feature of our world that is ubiquitous today, which is that there are lots and lots of different voices and ideas and languages concerning how to live a good life and relate to to the divine we live in babylite times as it were and we need to understand where that came from and how to live in the midst of that it's especially true for us today in the west in this moment as the cultural dominance of christianity has faded we find ourselves increasingly in a time of multicultural voices right different accounts of how we are to relate to our world different understandings of how language works, how truth works. Understanding this story in the Tower of Babel is going to understand, help us understand how to live in the midst of these times, because it is the midst, it is the world that has existed since Genesis chapter 11. As we unpack this text, three movements for us. First, the ascent of man. Second, the descent of God. And third, we're going to think about life in the aftermath. So the ascent of man, or the attempt to ascend... Second, the descent of God. And third, life in the aftermath. So first, the ascent of man. This story takes place sometime between Noah and Abraham. Chapter 11 of Genesis gets us to Abraham. We were recently talking about Noah. Now, that's a long period of time. And Genesis 10, which we are jumping over, is a genealogy of Noah's sons. And it shows how from Noah and his sons came all the nations of the world, all the cultures and languages that we see. It's not clear from this text when exactly Babel takes place, when this story occurs. And there's really two good options, and I'm not going to tell you which one to choose, but I'll tell you what they are so you have some awareness of them. And it hinges on how we understand the phrase, the whole earth, in verse 1. There we see that the whole earth had one language in the same words. Now. The traditional way of understanding this text, and and the way that I think is probably still the best, is that this refers to the whole earth in the way that we understand that in an English sense. which um, Which means that these events would have taken place shortly after the time of Noah, when people are still hanging out together. And this comes then before the division of the cultures that we see in Genesis chapter 10. But there's another option, which is that the earth here ought to be translated as land, which is an entirely appropriate way to translate the Hebrew word that is here. If this word means land, then this could be referring to a local phenomenon, a regional phenomenon, likely at the latter end of our period between Noah and Abraham in Samaria, closer to the time of Abraham. Both of those have good support in the text and in archaeology. we're not going to decide and it's okay because we don't need to decide for us to understand the main point of our text this morning but that gives you a bit of background what we do know is that there is a group of settlers who go out together and then decide they want to stop and build a tower that's the story it's a fairly simple story And depending on the dating question, that's either a precursor to or an example of the ziggurats that we see in the ancient Near East in the region around modern-day Iraq. And the question we want to consider and the question of importance for God as he comes and judges this attempt of man is why they're doing that. What is their motivation? And this brief story gives us a clear picture of what that motivation is. Look at verse 4 key text for us here then they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth what i want to suggest from this verse is that people here are seeking three particular things they're seeking transcendence glory and security those are their motivations transcendence glory and security. First, they're looking for transcendence. They want to build a tower that reaches with its top in the heavens. The ziggurats that are related to the Tower of Babel were temples. They were religious in nature. The name Babel in Akkadian means gate of God. The idea, which is pretty clear from the text, is that they're trying to build their way up into the heavens. This is a religious building. This is not just a skyscraper this is a temple an attempt by man to reach into transcendence to reach into the heavens as it were to reach God the purpose of the tower was to make contact with the divine we can think about science fiction movies that build portals into other realms that's basically what they were trying to do they were trying to build a way into the divine there's a religious impulse and desire at the heart of this tower But secondly, there's a desire for glory. And we see that in this statement. They want to make a name for themselves. This great temple tower would give the people a sense of secure identity and glory and posterity. They were going to be the people who built the tower to God. They'd be renowned across the world as those who made the stairway to heaven. It's a prideful impulse, an impulse unto glory. And then third, there's an impulse for security. Why are they doing this? Lest, they say, we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, we need to be careful here because we're going to see that God is going to disperse them over the face of the earth as their punishment, but they're not doing this to avoid that punishment. They're doing this to avoid God's commission to go out. You see, they're, they're migrant settlers moving out as they were told to do even after Noah But like Cain, they're scared. And so they decide, what we're going to do is, let's, let's just stay here. We'll stick together. We'll build a city. They're looking for security. They're resisting God's call to go out and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. All right. So we have a group of people who are looking for transcendence, for glory, and for security. These sound like people to me right these sound like you and me and in the context of Genesis what we've read so far this makes total sense why are people in Genesis 11 looking for security why are they looking for God and transcendence why are they looking for glory well because ever since Genesis chapter 3 the people of this world have been alienated they've been scared and they've been scattered and lonely that's the story of Genesis 1 through 11. From the Garden of Eden, where they are in the presence of God, together, in security and in joy, in their sin, we are sent out, exiled, scattered, scared, looking to find our way, in some sense, back into the presence of God. Everything after Genesis 3, everything in our world, in one sense, is trying to do that very thing trying to find eden again trying to find god again trying to find heaven this is the babylites desire they're looking for these things and one thing to notice is they're not wrong to be looking for these things these are good things to be seeking their folly is not in desiring them but in seeking them by their own power and that's what i want us to see importantly as we look at this Story. They're good desires, transcendence, glory, and security, but they're looking for these things on their own, and we see that in verse 4. Let's build ourselves a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. The emphasis here is on their self made desire for these things. These are things that only God can provide, and yet they are going out to do them themselves. They've been kicked out of the garden, they're alienated from Yahweh. They say, we're going to get these things on our own. Y'all see that? This is the impulse of Babel. And the question, the conflict here, and the one that's before us, and we're going to talk about here as we move on, is whether or not we are going to seek our transcendence, our security, and our glory from God, or whether we're going to go out and build it on our own. And the people of Babel are doing the latter. Now, The reality of Babel and what we find in verse 5 is that that's not the way it works. You don't get to climb up to heaven on your own. God has to come down. And that takes us to our second point, the descent of God. God comes down to Babel. Look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. It's important for us to see the humor here, okay? God is described anthropomorphically here, but you've got the people of Babel building this great tower to reach up to God. And then in verse 5, we hear that God went on and came down, right? They did not get close. They were not anywhere near the heavenly places. God had to come down and see what, what the children of man had built. Not what men had built, but what the kids had built. Do y'all remember, I don't, well, y'all, y'all weren't there for me, but I assume some other people tried to do this, like digging a hole to China in your backyard. Anyone ever try to dig a hole to China? Okay, that is more efficient and closer to the real thing than the t- people of Babel trying to build a tower to God, right? I'm there in my backyard. I don't know how old I was, maybe 15, 16. Bill digging this ditch, <laughs> right? And if a Chinese, if Yao Ming, who was in Houston at the time, came over and said, hey, I'm here, and I said, oh, great, I made it to China. He's like, no, I, I flew here. That's, that's not even close to what God is doing here, right? God comes down to them and says, hey, little guys, what you doing? You're building this tower trying to reach to me. There's laughter here. There's satire. And when he comes down, there's two things I want us to see. First, that he comes down in judgment. And then that his coming down tells us something about the way this is really supposed to work. First, the judgment. Um, what happens? He confuses their speech and he disperses them over the face of the earth. And there's a few layers to the meaning of God's judgment here that I want to I highlight. The first is just that. It's judgment. This is a consequence for their actions. They're trying to build their way to God and God says, you're not supposed to do that. You're not being faithful. And so I'm going to issue this punishment. I'm going to confuse your speech. But the second thing to see is that it's Fitting. It's uniquely fitting, this judgment for what the people of Babel were trying to do. And in many ways, it is a critique of that attempt. What do I mean by that? The desire to make your way to heaven is only going to result in, God says, confusion. If you try to do this on your own, what's going to happen, what I'm actually going to punish you with, but also what is the fruit of that, Is a multitude of of chattering voices that don't make sense together. God gives them a name. You remember I said that the name Babel in Akkadian means gate of God. That was the desire, right? They want a name, and God gives them a name, and there's pun here because Babel in the Hebrew means confusion. And so they're looking to find their way to God, but what they get is confusion. What they get is diversion, conflict. And we see this in our world. When you and I try to make our own way, right, we might make some progress into something, but then we look next to our neighbor who's building their project. And we say, that doesn't look the same. That is a description of the entire world that we find ourselves in. People building their own projects to transcendence and security and glory and then looking next to their neighbor and saying, you're not doing it the same way that I am. There's confusion. There's chaos. It's a fitting judgment that points to the ultimate consequence of finding your way. But third, it's an act of common grace. And we've, we've been talking about common grace as we've been going through Genesis 1 through 11. And it's important here to see that part of what God is doing here is he is preserving his world once again from complete apostasy so that his redemptive program can continue. There is no one satanic religion, right, opposed to God. Instead, there are thousands of them. And that's a way for God to keep things from getting out of hand. And that's what God is saying here. So God comes down and he deals with this attempt of man to build his way To God. But God's descent also points us to the true way that we are to experience and find these things that the people of Babel are seeking, transcendence, glory, and security. And that comes not from our building, but from God's coming down. We could spend hours, sermon series, on this theme, but let me just throw out some biblical ideas for you to take and ponder in your heart this week, are you looking for transcendence god again and again in the bible shows that this is something done on his own terms not ours he comes down he comes down to abraham he comes down to moses in the burning bush he calls moses up to his mountain his hill it's sinai and gives him the law God comes to his people, reveals himself to them in the glory cloud, leading them through the wilderness on his terms, and then he tells them how to build a tabernacle, and he goes into that place and fills it on his terms, on his condescension. And then ultimately, he comes to us in Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to start talking about next week as we look at John chapter One, how do we get to be with God in relationship to God? It is not by us ascending to the heavens, but by God descending to us. Transcendence comes from God's condescension, not our work. What about glory? Well, we're going to see that very ironically in Genesis chapter 12, which we'll look at in January, God comes to Abraham on his terms... And says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and give you a name. God is the one who gives names. We don't make names for ourselves. And then as we look into the New Testament and the glories of the gospel, we see that our glory will not come from ourselves, but ultimately from Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 right, tells us we have died. Our lives are hidden with Christ. When he appears, we will appear with him in glory. Our glory is given not taken and finally our security is the same way Joshua as he goes into the promised land leading the people of Israel God tells him to be strong and courageous do not be frightened do not be dismayed why for the Lord your God is with you our strength our confidence our courage our security is grounded in the presence of God which he gives to us on his own terms. Christ echoes these words in the Great Commission as he extends that call to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, closing by telling us, Behold, I am with you always to the end of our age. The witness of the scriptures from Genesis 12 to the end is that our transcendence, our glory, and our security comes from God, by God, on God's terms. The choice before the Israelites reading this in the wilderness and the choice before us today is whether or not we're going to seek man-made transcendence and glory and security or whether we're going to wait on the Lord and seek it from him in his provision. Are you going to be a builder and a cinder, a climber? Or are you going to receive... The provision of the condescending God, the one who comes down. This is not meant to be a hard choice. The Bible, in making fun of Babel, is helping us to see this is not meant to be hard, and it previews the satire of idolatry that's going to run through the rest of the Bible. i just read from Isaiah 46 to give you a sense of this similar theme. God says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse, pull out money, weigh out silver on the scales, hire a goldsmith, make it into a god, and then they fall down and worshiped. They lift it up to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm or call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. This is not supposed to be a hard choice. God says, you want transcendence and security and glory, I give those things. You can go build your towers, you can go make your idols, but they're things you make and they will never lift you to that place. Look, to me, this is a major theme of the scriptures. As we close, I want to apply just a little bit to our hearts. You and I live in the aftermath of Babel. And what does it look like for us to live amidst the confusion that is born and amidst the temptation to keep doing the same thing? I want to submit to you that as we look around our world, and as we examine our own hearts, we are accosted with calls to go build towers to God in various ways, to ascend, to make and find our own transcendence, glory, and security. And we are also dealing with the confusion that comes from that reality. So we have both the temptation to the sin and the consequences of Babel with us today. What do we do with that? This is what we're going to close with. Well, first, the temptation to build. Babel was a temple. There was religious significance. And yet, it need not be religious in the way in which you and I seek to go out and find these things, the way we seek to build our towers. What are your earthly transcendent projects? Where are you trying to find heaven now through your efforts? What are you trying to build? Where are you trying to find your glory now Your security now. We could list a thousand ways. I tried to list a thousand ways and it got overwhelming and would have been confusing and taken too long. But search your heart. What are the towers that you're seeking to build? What are the bricks that you're baking, you're putting up, so that you can find these reasonable desires apart from God through your own doing? Maybe they're in your family, maybe in your career, maybe they're through your wealth. Ways that you can secure for yourself the things that were lost in Eden. Where are you trying to do that on your own? One way I do want to highlight, because it's here in this text and worth saying in this season a bit before it gets too crazy, is that one way we do that is in our politics babel was not just a religious tower but it was a city and these two things are mixed together in the experience of the people of babel their city was their way to security and transcendence and glory and i want to submit to you that in our hearts as we engage in our cities we are tempted in that direction politics are good and important and you should be politically engaged cities are good and helpful and useful and we should seek their welfare and their good and yet we need to recognize that in our hearts are pathways that will lead us to making our politics into a man-made religion that seeks heaven that seeks glory that seeks security here and now apart from god and in our hopes and in our anxieties Around politics, these things come to bear. The truth of God's provision to us, of his descent to us, of his care for us and his promises for the future don't make us quietists who don't care about politics, but they do make us more level-headed engagers in that political sphere. We are not about building our way to heaven when we go to the voting booth or when we engage in civil society. That's not the point. Heaven is received from God through his provision. And we need to remember that both in our desires and our hopes and in our anxieties and our fears, all of which are very much tied up in political seasons and elections. United States of America, Charlottesville, Commonwealth of Virginia, our world will not be built into a tower that ascends to heaven. Be careful. We also need to be careful within our Christianity. I could go long here as well, I'm not going to. Man made glory projects find their way into our theology very easily and quickly. And so, as you think about your relationship to God as a Christian, those of you in this room who are Christians, be careful about man made Christianity your glory comes from christ it is provided to you by grace it is not your own doing there is no ground for boasting we are babel tower builders both in our common life and in our spiritual life okay finally i want to say something about what it looks like to live in the aftermath of babel and the confusion that results because we don't just experience the temptations to build little Babels, we do. We also experience what it looks like to live in the confusion that comes from Babel and comes from our attempts as societies to build our own ways to God. As we mentioned, God's common grace gives us not one anti-God religion, but thousands of them. That's nice of God, that's good, but one thing that we want to be careful about, and this is one I want to close with this morning, is that it creates hazards for those of us who are seeking to listen to the one voice of the one true God who descends and reveals himself to us. In our time especially, cultural, linguistic, and religious diversity is used to discredit and question Christianity to place Christianity into the box of one more confused voice that comes after Babel. And we need to be careful, as Christians, to recognize that our faith is not one more attempt of man to build our way to God, but is indeed the descent of God to us in truth. From postmodernism and the academy, to the popular advice we receive all the time to find our own truth, to find our own meaning in ourselves. Our world is inhospitable to claims about a God who is transcendent and who offers transcendent and transcultural truth. But that is the claim of Christianity. After Babel, we need to be careful to recognize and distinguish the voice of God coming down from the cacophony of voices seeking to ascend. And if I might be so bold, I need to say to you as Christians in this room, you can be confident in your faith. You are indeed a culturally conditioned creature, but the word of God is not a culturally conditioned artifact. It is God himself coming down and descending to us in truth. You don't need to be shy about that. You can rest in that. How do we know that? We know it not because of an idea that's better than all the other ideas, but we know it because of Jesus Christ. We know it because God himself, the one who is transcendent, took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. Our ground for confidence is not in better ideas, But in the person and work of jesus christ that god took on flesh and made his tabernacle among us and that makes this whole sermon an introduction to our advent series in john chapter one because what we're going to see is that we in the midst of a chorus of ideas of contradictions of conflict we have been visited from on high by god himself with light into a dark world, and he calls us to follow him. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the gift of your condescending word that comes to us, not by our own effort, but by your grace. Lord, we thank you that we are recipients and not achievers. Would you protect us as we live in a world both bearing the fruit of battle and still compulsively trying to build towers, would you protect us from those projects in our own hearts? Would you bring us to repent where we need repentance, that we might rest not in our achievements or in our efforts or in our cleverness, but wholly in your gracious provision, chiefly through Jesus Christ. Would this be a congregation? Would we be a people that looks to you in faith? Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.